Hello and welcome to another edition of the Golden Nugget. I am, of course, as always, your host Rob Gold. And this evening we've got a couple of different topics to talk about as well this week with regards to obviously we've got football, the Premier League predictions from the weekend, and obviously we've got the international break this coming weekend. So there will be no predictions for next weekend's football. But we will dive into the predictions very, very shortly. Also coming up on this evening's episode, we will be discussing the SmackDown review, um, upcoming shows on the Irish independent scene, and also, as I say, the results from the predictions from the Premier League matches as well. Also, in addition to the episode, and so not every week, but I will be going through a list of top sevens and I will be calling that the world of gold and basically in that sort of thing of, of world of gold I will be discussing the top list of seven different things in wrestling so this week we will be kicking off things with my top seven list of intercontinental champions not the belts but as i say you know the owners who, who who held the championships so kicking things off as always we will be kicking things off with the uh, predictions from the weekend's games which we will be starting with so we have matches we had were Wolves versus Spurs, Arsenal versus Burnley, Crystal Palace versus Everton, Manchester United versus Luton, Bournemouth versus Newcastle, Aston Villa versus Fulham, Brighton versus Sheffield United, Liverpool versus Brentford, West Ham versus Nottingham Forest, and Chelsea versus Manchester City. And there was no football on Monday. So without further ado. So kicking things off with the results along with the predictions. So the Wolves and Spurs game finished 2-1 to Wolves. Spurs did take the lead and with about seven minutes to go, not in normal time but as an injury time, Wolves had equalised and then with not long left in the game, Wolves had took the lead and held on for the three points. And my prediction for that game was a draw because I knew the players that Spurs had had out injured and things like that. And I also didn't think Wolves were going to be able to pull it off, but they managed to pull it off to my surprise. Um, so I predicted a, a draw. Obviously, it didn't work out as a draw. Then, next match we have was Arsenal versus Burnley. I honestly thought this was pretty much a home banker um, because obviously Burnley's form hasn't been great. Arsenal has basically been on the opposite side of that where it has been quite good their form and that. Um, and Arsenal, as I say, won the game three goals to one. And, we move, and I took it, as I say, it was a home win. Then we move on to Crystal Palace versus Everton. This was a very, very back and forth game. And that um, where Everton had took the lead 
and Crystal Palace equalised, and Everton took, took the lead again, and Palace equalised again, and then just when you thought it was going to finish a draw, then Everton go and snatch it with a few minutes to go in normal time to win the game 3-2. I predicted it for an away win. I predicted it for an easier away win than what it would have been, but again, it was predicted as an away win. Now, Manchester United versus Luton. This one, I thought, I, I had been swaying to and fro with this match because, you know, you, you would always think, you would think United against Luton, home banker, any, any, any year without fail. But this one, the way United's form's been, even though they're actually the most informed team within the last month, in the Premier League, do you know what I mean? It shows that they actually are improving slightly with the results and they're creeping the results in. And this one again was a bit of a creeping one because uh, Victor Lindelof was included in this, in the, in this game ahead of Iran and his inclusion was justified because he had scored the only goal in the game, but Luton, Luton did have their chances in the game, but also Manchester United should should they be worried even though they only beat Luton one 0 at home? It's hard to say because I mean Luton would have probably went said you know what we're going to throw everything at this game, and that they did, but unfortunately it wasn't their day, and Manchester United walked out victors one goal to nil. I had that game down as a draw, so I did not predict that one correctly. Bournemouth versus Newcastle. This one was really tough to call at first. I thought, okay, yes, this should be an away win. Then I thought, kept thinking, okay, it's going to be a draw. Because but the one thing, one thing I never thought would have been Bournemouth beating Newcastle in the format Newcastle have been on this so far. And boy, was I wrong, because Bournemouth walked away not only with the three points, but they walked away convincing 2-0 winners, and they could have added to it if it wasn't for Nick Pope in the, in the Newcastle goal. Then we move on to some of Sunday's fixtures as well, which, as I say, had a couple of ones where there were a bit earlier kickoffs and uh, than that. So you had Aston Villa versus Fulham, Brighton versus Sheffield, Liverpool versus Brentford, West Ham versus Forest, and Chelsea versus Manchester City. Kicking things off with Aston Villa versus Fulham, Aston Villa versus Fulham, again, didn't think it was going to be as close as what it was at the start. I thought the the way things were going in that match, I thought, okay, Villa, on home form, should win this one pretty clearly. And that, and to be quite honest, they did win it pretty clear, pardon me, in the end. And as I say, you had, so Antoine Robinson had, opened a scoring, but it was an own goal by Anton Robinson um, to give Aston Villa the lead. Then John McGinn had doubled their advantage just before half-time. And Ollie Watkins, who has been on good form this season as well, had made it 3-0. And just to give Fulham a bit of hope was Raul Jimenez, who has brought Fulham back into the game. But it wasn't to be in that game. Um, but, as I say, Villa's form, home form has been very, very good this season. <clears throat> and that is still going from last season into this season. Their home form has been very, very good. It'd be hard to beat at home. Um, and they walked away with 
3-1 win and a 3 points. Brighton against Sheffield United. Honestly, I honestly would have thought this game should have been a home win. I had predicted it a home win. But it didn't turn out to be a home win. It started off well for Brighton. They did take the lead thanks to Simon Edinger. And then after six minutes, and then it went a wee bit pear-shaped for them. Now, they didn't lose the game. They drew the game 1-1. But they had Mohamed Dahoud sent off in the 69th minute. Then five minutes after that, um, unfortunately for Brighton, they conceded thanks to an Adam Webster own goal. Um, and the game finished one goal apiece. Then we move on to... Liverpool versus Brentford, again, prediction of a home win, which was predicted, and that was the outcome. And as I say, Diaz for Liverpool, um, as I say, he came off the bench again with a few minutes to go, the news of his dad being released by the Colombian forces and things like that. They, which is very, very good news for, for him and his family and things like that. Um, but as I say, Darwin Nunez thought he had, thought he had, had opened the scoring in that game, but it was ruled out fractionally. Like, I mean fractionally. Now, I don't know. We will talk about this again, but I just don't agree with it being like half a toenail offside every part every other part of you is in an onside position i think and i feel and i probably wouldn't be the only one to feel this way but i honestly believe that they should revert to either being at least half a yard off but i always feel if you're half a yard off you're half a yard on so it's either it's either you're yard off or you're nothing. So even if you're part, even if you're if you're level, you're level. If you're just ahead, like by like half a yard, you're half a yard on, half a yard off. To me, you're on side because you're half a yard on. But I think it should be a full yard, at least. To me, because if any part of your body is on an onside position, then you, to me, you should be on side. You need to give the, to me. You need to give the attackers a benefit of the doubt for that, because you see, not see all this freaking toenail business, or like if it's if you're just ahead, if you're like your head's just ahead of the play and nothing else, and yet you don't score with your head, you end up scoring with your foot, and it still gets rolled out because your head's half a yard off. Do you know what I mean? I just think they should go back to the old way of doing it, where you're either a yard off and that's it, and then put the flag up. If you're offside by a yard. If you're not offside by a yard, then you're clearly on. But anyway, so Darwin and I thought he scored, got rolled out for free by VAR. That was the first one. Then again, moments later, again he had another effort rolled out, but this one was definitely offside. Um he went for the acrobatic um after cross came in, was blocked, shot came in uh, from one of the other players, and it was blocked, but because it was blocked. He was in an offside position when it was blocked, and then he did put the ball in there, but again, it was ruled out for offside. But Liverpool did find a breakthrough 
with six minutes to go in the first half, thanks to a set-up play by Darwin Inez, who, who slid the ball in from Moussal to curl the ball home from roughly about 12 yards out into the keeper's bottom right-hand corner and they give Liverpool the, the, their deserved lead. Now, it goes without question that, Bern, that Brentford did have a couple of chances of themselves early on as well. Weren't as clear-cut, but we will get into that into some of the second half in this match as well, where because in the second half, this is where Liverpool showed a bit more dominance. Um, and due to, through that dominance, dominance uh, Simicas, who in the game created um, give, give two assists for three at Liverpool's goals and he was the assist for Salah's second goal um, which was very very close to being out of play for a goal kick but he managed to keep the ball in play very very like the Newcastle Arsenal game from last weekend but this one was more so that it was more like it wasn't even the curvature of the ball it was the fact that it was like it was the ball that hadn't even like went out of play and the curvature didn't have even come into question about this and Salah just headed it in everyone else seemed to have stopped the Brentford players seemed to have stopped looking for the, the linesman to put out put out his, his flag for the ball going out of play and Salah just headed it in to basically an empty net everyone else has stopped and Salah played on done the right thing and put it in the net for 2-0 goal stood then about 12 minutes later, as I say, Brentford did have a chance before this, um, where as I say Allison made a really good save. And again, Simicas down the left, Liverpool had just passed it, as calm as you like, into Diego Jota, who curled the ball into the keeper's far left hand side corner, and to give Liverpool 3 0 win and to give them three points that they fully deserve. And on that note, they are actually are now, Liverpool are now in second place, and that they are one point behind Manchester City, which we will get into very, very shortly. And that, and Arsenal, after their win, as I say, they are on their third as well, but because Liverpool scored, because their Liverpool's goal difference is higher, they are second, that's why they're second. Um, obviously, with Spurs defeat, they are currently in fourth. And Aston Villa are currently in fifth. And Manchester United, as I say, crawling up the table, are now in sixth position as well. With every game, with every team in the division, all playing 12 games as well. So, we are approximately, roughly, coming up to about a third of the season, almost. I know. We will be doing a half-time analysis of the season so far in a few episodes' time. Once we reach to 19 games played from each team. And that we will then move into the next portion of the season. So moving forward from the weekend's fixtures. So we have West Ham against Forest. I did predict this one as being a draw. And it was a close run affair. Uh, this game, I have to say, um, as I say, with you know, with Lucas Paqueta giving West Ham an early lead after three minutes, then Tayo Anaway giving Nottingham Forest an equaliser, and then 
Anthony Alanga putting Nottingham Forest ahead. Um, but then Jared Bowen had restored West Ham and brought them level. Then with two minutes to go, Thomas Sushak had scored with two minutes to go and gave West Ham the victory. And a, a very well needed victory for West Ham. But Nottingham Forest's their results away from home, they're starting to you know appear that there's a problem at the same they can't fix away from home. Um, at the moment, um, where they've lost as a consecutive games now away from home and that, so that will be a worry for themselves. And then we move on to what was by far the game of the weekend and maybe even the game of the season. Now, this is where things get a bit interesting. So, I was listening to this match on the radio. I was also watched it on Match of the Day, the highlights. And it was a really intriguing turn of events because what had happened, so we'll go through the scores and things like that with it. So, Erling Haaland had given Manchester City the lead from the penalty spot after a dubious call. So, and, the, and what I mean by dubious is the fact that, so, Kukurea, the Chelsea defender, was a judge to have brought Haaland down. But, so he made the contact at first, but then Haaland kind of like, both of them had continued holding on to each other. And then both of them went over in the box. And that, you know, so it's one of those ones that's half a dozen, you know, you could all you could see it going either way. But for but why it went the way it did, beyond me. Um I've seen penalties given for like more like as in penalties like been like not given for that before. Where referees have said, "Oh, it's a common together." You were both at it. It was a six of six of one and half a dozen the other thing, and that's exactly what this was, and that's why the Chelsea players were adamant that this should never have been a penalty. People disagree with that. I disagree that that it shouldn't have been a penalty. I I think it should have just the referee should have just let it go. Do you know what I mean? Because it's one of those ones where, yes, there was contact made. Both players were going at each other, and it should have just been left as that. Do you know what I mean? Would it be questionable to say that, okay, Cucurella would have got away with it, you know, had it not have been given? Potentially. But because it was given. Now, here is an interesting fact as well. So, I've always known and thought that when a penalty is being taken, that if a if the team who's got the penalty and scores it, if their players run into the box as it's been taken, is that not to be retaken? Because when that penalty was taken, you had a couple of Man City players who went in as it was taken. Not after it was taken, but before the penalty was actually hit. So as Hallam was running up, you've seen them, a couple of Man City players running into the box. Now this happens quite frequently, and it shouldn't be, 
because it should be made retaken. I remember about, oh, it was a good while ago, between, I can't remember the two teams, but I know Frank Lampard was still, I'm not sure if it was maybe West Ham against Chelsea, or if Frank Lampard was playing for West Ham still at this time. But I remember him having to take a penalty, but he had to retake it three times because players kept going into the box. And that hasn't happened for quite some time. Now, is it because referees are letting it go? It is quite possible because that's why a referee stands where he stands so he can see the player, players are running in. But that's what VARs are for as well. So when a penalty is taken, now if the opposing player, if the opposing team's players run into the box and the penalty is scored, nothing happens. But if it's saved and one of the, by the keeper and the player who hits it out for a throw-in or whatever type thing or a corner or whatever, it gets retaken again because of that situation because the opposing player has run in and he's cleared it because he was able to get there quicker than the other ones because he went in beforehand. So if that's the case, why aren't these being looked into in a greater detail? You know, and that's for every team. So any team that has a penalty, look out for that and see how often it happens. Does it happen for my, my own team? Probably. At some point, there's probably going to be somebody who runs in when they're not supposed to. Do you know what I mean? So if a, if a keeper makes a save and then a defender runs in too early to clear it, do you know what I mean? Because there's no advantage to anyone with that. Then that's, do you know what I mean? Then that's the whole thing. You know, so even if somebody that, you know, that the attacking team player misses it and somebody runs in before, you know, the ball being, you know, the their own player runs in type of thing, then it's not, do you know what I mean? But anyway, so that goal stood, so that penalty stood. Then four months later, Thiago Silva had scored from a corner. He scored a good header, a very, very good, well-placed header into the bottom, keeper's, keeper's bottom right. And then Raheem Sterling had given Chelsea a deserved lead with eight minutes to go before half-time. Then Manchester City had equalised and that uh, through Manuel Akanji right before half-time, should I say, actually. And then Erling Haaland made it 3-2, um, where he slid in. VAR had a look to see if there was a handball, but I don't know where it was coming from because it didn't look as if there was any handball made there. And the goal stood. That was to make it 3-2. Then Nicholas Jackson, after uh, Conor Gallagher's shot, was spilled by Ederson. And Nicholas Jackson was at hand to basically tap it in from close range to make it 3-3. Then as things started to get interesting towards the end, it looked as if Man City had sealed all three points thanks to a big, big deflected Rodri goal, which took a slight deflection of Kukurea, but then it went on to but Thiago Silva had stuck his leg out. The goalkeeper was going exactly the right way. Had Silva not touched the ball, 
that looked as if the keeper was going to make the save, but despite deflection, had took it to the keeper's other side and rolled into the net. So Rodri went down, has name has gone down on the goal, but to me, because it was on target, you see, because the shot looked as if it was going on target, it's given as a Rodri goal. But because it was such a big deflection, it to me it should have went down as an own goal, but any but it still would have been a Man City goal anyway. Then with a few minutes to go, Chelsea were awarded a penalty in the 92nd minute. So there were seven minutes, seven or eight minutes added on, and ball played through. Chelsea had made a substitution and the Chelsea player who as I say, was brought down. Cole Palmer, ex-Manchester City player, supports Manchester City through and through, stepped up to take the penalty in what was a very pressured moment and slotted the, the ball past Ederson to make it Chelsea 4, Manchester City 4, and that is how it finished. My prediction in that game was actually for a home win because I thought Chelsea had enough to actually go at them and they did go at them. It was just the fact that you know Man City also scored four but but um Chelsea would feel like that match was almost like a, a win for them getting that draw at the end. And um, you could see they're starting to get going a bit more and that um Man City that's the most that I've seen Man City concede for quite some time in a Premier League. The last time, I, I can't remember the last time that Man City conceded as much as this. Now, I know they've conceded three, even in the Manchester Derby and things like that. You know, even whenever they were, they were like 6-3, they were 1-6-3 or something like that a couple of seasons ago. But even at that, you know, their defence is leaky if you go at them. And that is one thing I think Chelsea found with Man City there. So if, play, if teams are not afraid to have a go at Man City, Man City can be there for the taking. And with that being said, the next man's, next set of matches features first against second. Manchester City versus Liverpool. Half 12 kickoff, the first weekend back after the international break which is the weekend of the 25th and the 26th of November. That will be your weekend match. And so that concludes this portion of the podcast so far. Um, and as I say, we will be discussing um, events that have happened over the wrestling side of things as well so we know obviously Raw's tonight so this is Monday so I'm obviously recording this episode on Monday so going out Raw will already be done um, but I will go over Smackdown review from the weekend gone there as well so Dragon Lee defeated Cedric Alexander then Carlito had blamed Santos Escobar for Rey Mysterio losing the United States Championship to Logan Paul at Crown Jewel, which turned out that something happened there along the lines there with that, because after 
you know, sort of that, that we come in together where I think Santos and Carly don't have match. And as I say, Ray had got attacked from behind by Santos Escobar. And Ray had kind of like pushed him back kind of thing in that. And then as I say, Santos Escobar wasn't too happy about it. And pushed Ray Mysterio into the ring post. And that was how that was left between the two of them. Then we also have the return of Crown Jewel of the Pirate Princess herself, Carrie Sane, who looks as if she has officially joined Damage Control, which is obviously the team of Bailey, Eo Sky, Dakota Kai, and now Carrie Sane. But also in that match, so in that sort of you know, swore of women wrestlers there. So there was a match that was made of, that was in for, for SmackDown between, well, which involved um, Asuka and Bianca Belair teaming up. But in that match, you had Asuka using her mist on Bianca when Bianca went to look to tag Asuka in. Oscar refused to tag, sprayed her, and next thing you know, damage control were beating her up. Shotzi went to come out to help out Bianca and that, and next thing you know, Oscar attacks, attacks them as well with damage control, and everyone from damage control, including Oscar, were holding each other arms up as a victory and that so is Asuka part of damage control or was she just joining in with the celebration who knows there'll be more of that to come as well especially when you've got war games coming up very soon as well for survivor series so survivor series war games it have been made official by adam pierce on last week's episode of raw And going forward, so, so obviously Survivor Series War Games is the 25th of November, which will be sh shaping up to be quite an intriguing affair. But will Damage Control be a part of the, maybe the women's War Games side of things? Because that's what they seem to like to do. They seem to like to have a women's War Games match as well as a men's one. And also on SmackDown, you had L.A. Knight, yeah, square up against Grayson Waller, which L.A. Knight took the victory. And that does conclude our SmackDown review. And then we have, like I say, we have Raw tonight as well with I would imagine some matches being shaped towards Survivor Series and more games um, coming into effect and um, we will also as far as I know I think we might be also crying so we're obviously we're crowned a new number one contender in the Miz from last week where he will take on Gunther will that be at Survivor Series war games will it be a nice for them who knows um, but it's nice to see the Miz getting that spotlight again 
and as I say, been able to you know challenge Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship as well. And while we're on the subject of Intercontinental Championship, I'm now going to go into what I'm going to be calling from now on is going to be the World of Gold, which is basically lists of top sevens. And this week we will be discussing, well, I will be discussing my top list, seven list of WWE Intercontinental Champions. Now, with that being said, even though I've said WWE Intercontinental Champions, so that includes all of the history's Intercontinental Champions from the start to the to the to basically Gunther as such. And so this is basically in an order of who I think, in my opinion, are the top seven intercontinental champions. Now, honestly, you could have anyone in this list, if I'm honest, but in my mind, these are, these would be my top sevens. I'm also get, going to give you how many days in total they had as reigns as being intercontinental champion and that's that's so that so if it's maybe more than three four it's combined okay so without further ado number one on my list is the reigning and current intercontinental champion gunter he is obviously has only had one title reign of that championship which he has held as I say, as writing this down for 514 days. Now, I wrote this down a couple of days ago, so you could add an extra couple of days on that. So he's probably now on about 556, around about 518, maybe, give or take, or in and around that. Then, second on my list, with two title reigns of the Intercontinental Championship, was Pedro Morales. Who had a total of 619 days as Intercontinental Champion, two reigns. Then next on my list is Shawn Michaels, who had a total of three title reigns as being the Intercontinental Champion of 406 days. Then fourth on my list with a total of eight title reigns being 597 days is The Miz. Then number five, with one title reign, with a total of 285 days, is Greg Valentine, or as, as he was known to me, was Greg the Hammer Valentine. Then number six, with again one title reign, was Pat Patterson, which he held it for 233 days. And last but not least, is the Honky Tonk Man, with one title reign and 454 days. He was the longest reigning, he was the longest intercontinental, one of the longest intercontinental champions in history. He was, because he only had the one title reign, he was the longest reigning, he was the longest at that, the pinnacle of the intercontinental champions as such, as in he only held it once for that set days. Then Gunther had smashed it and he is smashing it still as we speak as, as well and uh, but on the Pat Patterson intercontinental reign 
So some may know this and some may not know this. And without giving too much away with regards to this fact. So those who follow independent Irish independent wrestling and, and the company OTT over the top wrestling. So they have a championship called the gender neutral championship which was actually defended in Rio de Janeiro and that which was going back a good while ago now um, but that match itself what had took place as I said took place in Rio de Janeiro, Rio de Janeiro and that was also the place where Pat Patterson had won the Intercontinental Championship so just a small little fact about both the Intercontinental Championship and the OTT Gender Neutral Championship. So on that note, I would also like those who do tune into the podcast episode. What are your thoughts on that list? What would be your list of top seven intercontinental champions let me know via the social medias that i have available to contact me with because it's nice to sort of see what other people's you know lists are of things like that and while we're still on the subject of list i'm going to put out as i say on the golden one page on facebook with a bit of a kind of like a poll as such as in what sort of like top of top of list would you like to discuss about so obviously it would be wrestling related so what would be your top seven and actually on the subject of top of seven list because we also do a football chat as well i'm going to give people the opportunity to also throw in a top seven list football related as well because I think it's nice to mix it up a wee bit. So, yeah, so yes, this section is going to be called World of Gold. And it's going to be, where we're talking about whether it's going to be championships or longest reigns and things like that. You know, football related, it could be, you know, who's held championships longer, you know, who's, you know, who's had the most wins. You know things like this do you know what i mean just but but if, if there's something there that you want to discuss about in a top seven list between whether it's football related or wrestling related let me know again by the socials which are attached to the podcast episodes each week and they're also attached to the description of the podcast as a whole as well so don't be afraid to get in contact with me through facebook which is the golden one through twitter which is r slash x which is rob gold uh, through Instagram, which is Robert Over, and as I say, through the likes of TikTok as well, which would be Robert Great as well, through that too. Um, and then as I say, if you do want to contact me via email, the email is golden one Rob Gold. So it's spelled G O U L D E N O N E R O B G O U L D at gmail.com. And that is for the for the uh, anyone who wants to put in anything regarding the podcast episode top seven list as well and 
So that does conclude the podcast episode as such. I want to throw out there as well, just to basically put it out there with people. So obviously for the upcoming shows that we have on the independent scene, you know, over the next sort of, you know, over the next sort of few weeks into December as well, kind of thing. So you've got Hard Knocks, hard, you've got Hard Knocks show down in Limerick, which is on the 26th of this month, 26th of November. So you're talking just under two weeks away. You've got OTT show in Enniskillen on the 4th of, 4th of December, if I'm not mistaken. And you've also got Titanic show in Balmain on the 25th and on the 26th of November, Conswater Community Centre will be hosting Titanic show there. And who has also been announced for Titanic show has been Millie McKenzie. And what a coup that is for Titanic to get her over for that show. And that um, also not long announced there was OTT. Now that's what I call Christmas shows, which are obviously for the 16th in the complex in Dublin and for the 17th in Europa Hotel in Belfast. Tickets are on sale now. Go grab them while you can. You've also got the NLW shows as well, which are on the Facebook. So if you go on to their pages on the likes of Facebook and Twitter, they will have the dates available. And there's still some tickets left, folks, but get them while you can, because they will sell out. The NLW shows pretty much sell out quite quickly. So get your tickets there, folks, and that. Um, also, Fight Factory Pro Wrestling, they have another show coming up as uh, very, very soon as well. So again, check out their social medias as well for tickets and availability for their shows as well. And as I say, that does conclude this week's episode of The Golden Nugget. And I just want to thank those to thank those who do tune in and ask questions about the show and things like that. Um, if you want to get involved with this podcast, let's say with myself, don't be afraid to hesitate. If you if you want to come on as a guest, don't be afraid to hesitate in that as well, because I do like having someone to throw things back with when I'm doing a podcast episode and things like that. Um, and yeah, um, as I say, just hit me up if you've got any any thoughts, any ideas on what I would, what you would like to, to listen to as well. Feel free to contact me, as I say, through the social medias, which again, as I say, will be at the bottom of the description of the podcast as well. So folks, as always, I want to thank everyone to those who tune in and I want everyone, if they don't already, to acknowledge me.